Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today, Carrie and I are excited to be talking about time travel with A.C. Merkel and Kosoko Jackson. A.C. is an author, musician, and digital artist. What if you could watch history unfold, take a ride on the Orient Express, rock out at CBGB in its heyday, go dancing in post-prohibition Chicago, pick berries under billions of pure starlit pinpoints in 1540s France? That is the premise of his debut urban fantasy. Kosoko Jackson is a digital media specialist focusing on digital storytelling, email, social, and SMS marketing, and a freelance political journalist. Occasionally, his personal essays and short stories have been featured on Medium, Thought Catalog, The Advocate, and some literary magazines. When not writing YA novels that champion holistic representation of Black queer youth across genres, he can be found obsessing over movies, drinking his upteenth London fog, or spending far too much time on Twitter. His YA debut, Yesterday is History, will come out in 2021, published by Sourcebooks Fire, and his adult-owned voices queer rom-com, I'm So Not Over You, will come out in 2022 by Berkeley Romance. We're just so excited to have both of you on the show today. Could you, just to launch us off, tell us a little bit about what drew you to writing stories about time travel? Drew, would you like to go first? Sure. Um... You know, in the 80s, I was a kid and Doctor Who was on Alabama mm-hmm. public television. And, you know, I would I would sleep for a bit and then get back up to see that when I was a kid because I just loved it. And that's why I have this little canine toy here with us because <laughs> I thought maybe maybe it's video and I can show that. But it's not. So that's but, you know, I have always been fascinated with things that relate back to that experience of watching Doctor Who in the 80s, immortality, um, time travel, um, you know, and then, then later it became magic. And so when when I decided I was going to write a book to put out there and self-publish, it was it was a mix of those things. And that's kind of what Her Name is Murder and the Lady Dreamscape series is. So yeah, so I decided to write uh, time, I didn't set out to write time travel fiction. I've always loved science fiction. Doctor Who was also a big influence of mine, uh, 12 Monkeys and a lot of other um, cinema. But when I wanted to write a story that focused on queer representation and the struggles of being a queer teen and a black teen in the present time and also compare it to what happened in the past, I did a lot of research and thoughts about how books do that. And the most common thing is like letters that explain like a character from the past and a character from the future. And I was like, that's kind of played out. How can we make that special and different and explore that? And then I was like, why not use time travel and throwing him back in the 60s, kind of like the linchpin of the LGBT and the civil rights movement as a representation of Andre, a black queer teen, as a holistic representation of who he is, just kind of floated naturally. Yeah. And I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I've read, I think, the first five chapters. And I'm just really excited with the way you're playing with it, because both my, my biggest question when having both of you on is how are you kind of avoiding some of those maybe overdone tropes? And mm-hmm. I just love the way that you're using uh, this kind of organ donation as your vehicle for time travel. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, about how you came up with the medium for your character to travel through time? Sure. So in the very first draft of yesterday's history, it was actually blood donation. So I have a science background, my disease, my degrees in public health. I wanted to be an MD, PhD. Um, so very much like Andre, I wanted to get my medical degree. So I wanted to tie that in somehow. And by using an organ, I really wanted to keep that closeness and personal connection to the McIntyre family and through time itself as a representation of how organs and blood kind of, when you get an organ or you get somebody else's blood, a piece of you is inside of you and it kind of becomes part of you. So I wanted to use that kind of as like a pseudo representation of how when Andre goes back in time, he learns a lot from Michael about himself and takes that with him to the future. So yesterday is very much like an onion that has kind of like a lot of layers that I was playing with to just kind of make it a little bit deeper. But again, I wanted to do something different and special. I didn't want it to be like an item. I didn't want it to be um, something that he touches very much like in other, um, I cannot remember like, it's the one that everyone talks about with time travel with the rock and the stone and the woman who goes back to Scotland. Outlander. Outlander, (laughs) I didn't want to rock like an outlander. And so I was like, how can I make it different? I was like, let's go with an organ. 
Okay, cool. That is, that is freaky, an organ. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So do you want to jump in there, Drew? We were just talking about how you decided what medium your character would use to kind of provoke the time travel story. Sure. So the interesting thing about the way my series goes is in the first book, they're not time traveling. There's a buildup to time travel. So there is an item, as was pointed out before, that is passed down um, through uh, a family history. So that connects that like that in a way. Um, that the love interest uses that can stop time. Um, and as the second book rolls around, we find out that someone has time traveled, which is the call to action that pushes our characters into, okay, so we know this is possible. We have a good reason to go back uh, to fix something. So let's do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that becomes a mix of items and things that they have to get together and figure out how to make that work. You know, finding a specialist and finding a couple of other pieces that make this all work so that that can happen. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was thinking how I, I know that Kosoko, yours kind of kind of you have to also be a historical fiction writer when you're writing these time travel stories. And those who go into the future also kind of have to really up the sci fi so how did you decide what era you wanted your characters to visit in these time traveling stories? So I chose the 1960s and the 1970s again, because it's like the nexus of the civil rights movement and the mm -hmm. LGBT movement. And because Andre's queer and black, I wanted that to be a meta narrative about him as a character. Um, it's also a period that we don't see much in YA fiction. Um, YA, for any of your readers that don't know, is young adult fiction. Um, and we usually see much further back in times, most of our period pieces, which I am a huge fan of, take place during World War One and World War Two. but we don't often see the 60s and the 70s. And so I not only wanted to explore that a little bit, but also just set a time that represents Andre and would push him further into learning more about himself, but also in a very, very light sense and a light touch because the book is not a historical fiction book. So I don't force myself to be as historically accurate in the book. Um, it's a fiction story. I'm not trying to teach people about history. I wanted to give them a little piece of history so they could, if they were interested, go on and find out more. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Really? I mean, like, you went to you went for something a lot closer, and I went for something that was a lot further exactly back yeah because I have, very different. I, I have I have a character that is um, special in the sense that she time traveled in a straight line. You know, she's lived four hundred and something years. So when we go back, we go back for something from the sixteenth century, uh, which is um, forced me into a very historical fiction kind of a mindset. Although, like you said. It's fiction, and it's not necessarily historical fiction. So while I took pains to make sure the history was right, I didn't necessarily delve into the dialect too heavily. Um, I didn't want people who were reading it to have to... I mean, I don't, I'm not having the characters really use modern slang, but I'm also not forsoothing it uh, when we go back that far, because I didn't want people thrown out too much by the language. Which I'm sure is a big thing, because like if I read a book that had like heavy 14th century language, if characters went back to the 14th century, I would be like, what are these characters saying? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and going to the 16th century, it's not as heavy as it would be if it were the 14th century. Right. Because uh, the 16th century is uh, late modern medieval. Mm -hmm. You know, it's early. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of has me thinking about another question, which is both of you say you're not diving too much into, you don't want it to be a history lesson. You want it to be a kind of a way to explore these times, but still maybe put the fiction front and center. So how do you decide where to draw that line? How do you decide what to um, give to your readers from those times and then what to just kind of, you know, not inf not information dump on them because I know a lot of time travel stories can get a little over expository and, and you can lose the readers. So how do you find that balance with um, exploring a point in time while also keeping the pacing and keeping everybody uh, moving forward? <laughs> 
I don't think I did too well with that, which is one of my personal critiques <laughs> of my book. Um, I very much focused like this when I was writing it and editing it. I was like, this is a love story about a teen who is in a love triangle and is exploring and learning himself and who he wants to be and using time travel as a vehicle for that. And so I really put a lot of heaviness on that, which to me, you can always learn more from and learn from your book that you write and what you did well and what you didn't. I don't think I did the time, the historical piece as well. Um, the book again, was never meant to be a history lesson. So I didn't really focus that much very specific on historical like events that are happening. There's not a huge talk about Stonewall, even though it happens like right during the period. There's not much talk about the civil rights movement, which is a thing that I regret not doing as much. There's mention of the Vietnam War, but there's never more than kind of just throwaway lines. And even in that regard, like the book takes place in July into August, June through August of 1969 and 1970. And if you are a historical person who was alive or around during that time, there is a very major event during those two months that happens, which is landing on the fucking moon. And I don't (laughs) even mention it at all in the book, which is a huge (laughs) oversight because everyone would have been talking about the fact that we landed on the moon um so i think i should have i if i could rewrite the book i would have included more but at the same time like i didn't want it to be a heavy read as a historical fiction book so i go back and forth it right okay right exactly and you found a home for it as it was oh yeah obviously there's something something there uh or these people wouldn't have you know published it and you know you so good I was going to say, I I listened to the book and I loved it, by the way. Um, And I did, you know, I liked that it wasn't, you know, we weren't spending a ton of time thinking about all the different world events because the story was so close on Andre and Michael. Right. And I just loved, I loved Michael and um, I can't say anything without spoiling anything. (laughs) uh, It's so so good. You did such a great job. Thank you. And I liked how you used music to bring people Mm. back to the time period. Like, again, it's going to spoil it. I keep saying, but yeah. Because music's a really big component Mm -hmm. of all my work, too. So I really need to check this out. Cool. Yeah, I see your guitars in the back. Your guitar in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a bass and an acoustic and an electric over there. I spent a lot of time making music then found out that the way to have a little bit of success apparently for me was to write books cool and so tell tell us a little bit about your uh how how you balanced that drew with um you know revealing history but also kind of keeping the story moving well luckily for me when i started this out i picked i picked a time period that i already knew a good bit about Mm. um because of just you know there's it was something I was interested in. Uh, and so I kept in, one, I kept in a few, like 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 we were saying before, I kept in within a few months. It's, uh, you know, it goes from January 1536 to uh, May. So that's six, less than six months, right? And my brain's freezing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I have a really strong idea of what ha- what was happening with the characters that I was going to see during that time period. So it was really easy to keep it there. And, you know, I spent what research time on picking which of the characters that would have been in this circle were going to be important to my part of the story. And I decided more or less to use lesser people a little bit more. You wouldn't necessarily see on the Tudors or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there were those some characters, those characters were there in the Tudors, but they weren't big characters. So I guess I drew the line at where, you know, the speech. Um, he, he didn't want to throw people out too much by saying anything too modern. And at the same time, I kind of was like, well, maybe I should have some kind of translation device. And I threw that out. You mm. know, it, it, it wouldn't be that hard for us to listen to 16th century English and figure out what they were saying. Right, right. Well, that's interesting. So I imagine that point of view plays a really big role in time travel stories so was that an interesting process for you figuring out which point of view would serve this story the best because obviously if you're going for first person then you know nothing's going to be revealed except for what your character sees where if you opted for third person then you could kind of get a little more in there what did that look like did you ever try um, playing with different point of views or were you pretty set when you started 
can't write third person, so I don't write third person. Um, <laughs> but it is. I always try because I'm like I read first. Per- I read third person past the most, but I read some really good third person present, and I'm like, this is such a cool POV. I would love to work with this. Like this author makes it look so effortless. I can do it. Then I get 200 words in. I'm like, this is trash. Trying to go back to my comfort zone of first person. Why am I trying anything different? So every book I write is in first person. And every book will be in first person because that's what I'm good at. And I know my strengths. Cool. Um, You know, for me, I guess back when I started reading a lot, there wasn't as much of the first person. You know, um, all the stuff I read as a kid, it was all third person past tense. And that's kind of how things more were. It didn't become a very popular thing until later. I don't know when, but, you know, uh, so I started out writing in third person past tense and that worked really well for uh, those first two main books because there's a lot of characters there's a lot of moving pieces there's um you know especially in the second book you know there's people that do the time travel and there's people that stay back and are dealing with the things that sent them back there too so i've got a couple of cast members in different places doing different things and yeah, some of them don't really get any POV, POV, but if I need a POV, I can take it from whoever I mm. need to with third person. Now, when we got to, I wrote a novella after the second book that is from a character-specific point of view, um, and it is first person, present tense in that novella, uh, because that's the way it worked out the best. Because I started writing it in third person, and I was like, no. This is, this is going to be so much better if we jump back into this character's mind and see the present, which is their future, through their eyes for the first time. Right, way. right. Yeah, and so, I think that it, that, jo- that subgenre really lends it to being a cool um, first-person experience. Mm-hmm. But then when you do third, then you get to show the audience maybe some of what that first person isn't understanding yet so there's a lot of room to play there i would think i'm thinking about i'm I'm of course thinking about that you know i'm the same way that i always write everything in first and i'm thinking about your book jackie your new one that i'm only like you probably don't even want to talk about it yet but how you changed it from first to third and uh, i'm with kosoko like i am i am like Oh, I'm going to write in third. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, never. I try. You know, I thought jumping from third into first was going to be really hard. And in this instant, it was like the easiest thing I ever had to do mm. because it just, it took something that was not working and swung it into this thing where I just sped through it. It was right. amazing. I feel amazing. like it can open it sometimes. You're like, oh, this is this needed to be told from a different point of view. I started so, writing this one book as like a confession letter from the future, and I was just making it way too hard on myself. Mm-hmm. And then I switched to, you know, kind of just a standard third, and it just started pouring out a little more. So, so there'll be lots of experimentation for me going yeah. forward. I'm not saying I'm going to stick with third or stick with first. Uh, uh, yeah. First present scared the crap out of me when I started <laughs> it, and then I was like, no, this is awesome. Let's go. Right. <laughs> so the more things I can do and the better I can make myself, the more, I, I guess the easier this will be going forward. I wanted to ask, um, Kosoko, you're, in your book, a choice that I thought was interesting was that Michael's time and Andre's time, they weren't exactly parallel, but they did move both forward kind of at the same time. It was like, what, every minute was an hour? Yep. First? Yes. Every so minute how... in the past is an hour. Every hour in the past is a minute in the future. Yes. Right. Yeah. See, I remember that. So how how did you make that decision? And I almost thought that it would be almost like a time traveler's wife thing where Andre would just kind of show up at different parts of Michael's life. And it really wasn't. It was kind of like that, but not quite this. It wasn't out of order like that. 
I'm trying to think this novel has gone through many iterations over the past three years. So I'm trying to remember exactly like why that was the choice. I remember in the original draft, it was one hour equals one hour. So the time was equal, but then okay. that didn't make sense for scenes like in the very beginning when he uh, leaves in the middle of the, in the afternoon, then he would have been gone for several hours and his t- parents would have definitely been like, why is our child not in his bed at seven o'clock in the morning yeah. and the next morning? And so mm-hmm. it was more of a writer's convenience than anything else but I still wanted there to be some real world consequences for time travel so I had it be basically 160th um I was really one of my favorite books is in one of my favorite movies is Inception and that time level of leveled layers that each level of Inception is usually I think 124th or 160th as you dive deeper into people's dreams was something that I took from there oh cool that's cool I like that and I did, I also liked the fact that time had moved forward for Michael mm. so that when, you know, it had been a while since Andre visited him and oh, yeah. it was kind of like, you know, where did you go? You know, like what's, you know, what's the method to your madness? And then of course, you know, things change for them later on, but just that kind of, as their relationship was developing, that, that was an interesting wrinkle. And I did take that from Time Travel's wife with the coming in a different... I think time travel is... What's the fun of exploring time travel if you don't understand the consequences that by jumping backwards and forwards, you're not going to instantly, each time you jump, it's not going to be back to the exact same moment when you were in the past the last time, because unless you're very masterful of it, in most universes, time is a very hard thing to control and because it's such a nebulous concept. So I, the idea of jumping and it being a little bit random, but not being so random that he would jump and Michael would be like 60 years old and then 15 years old and then 20 years old right. uh, was what I wanted to play with. If it was an adult book, because in YA, it's very, very hard to have an adult main character. Um, mm-hmm. Also, because it has a romance in it too, that was going to get weird if he was an it adult. It problematic. So, <laughs> right. So if it was I, an I adult book, we would that. explore different things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. And I kept thinking of all the different things that might happen. Um, and it was just so, I loved the fact that the time travel created this extra layer of suspense on top of what was happening with the love story. I mean, it was just so well done. And well, you have you. to have and a There are two love stories, so. but, you know. Yes, it is a love triangle. I, I just love, I love that too. That was, that. I wasn't sure, <laughs> I forgot the name of the other, was it Blake? Blake, yep. But yeah, um, I wasn't sure how they were going to get together, but it was very seamless. Like it made so much sense. I, I wasn't, I thought, how could he possibly fall in love with two boys at once? And then (laughs) it was just like, Oh yeah, I see how that happens. It was really good. It's really interesting because that has me thinking about just paradoxes in general. So you were kind of talking Kosoko about, you know, what, what he does can then affect the, his future when he comes back into the world, it's obviously wrinkled some things. So were there, um, you know, genre conventions that you were like, I love this paradox. I want to play with it. Or there's some that you definitely yeah. avoided purposefully. <laughs> so for yeah, both of so you. The, the, for yesterday, the book does explore like what can happen if you change the past, but I wanted to steer away from like my main character actually changing the past because that is such a trope in um, time travel that like you change it, then you realize, oops, my change didn't actually do what I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we've read stories like that millions of times. So I wanted to stay away from that. But since it's a story like yesterday is a love tri- is a love story. It is a science fiction story. It is also a coming of age story, but at its core, yesterday is a story about grief. It's about an individual individuals who have a family who has lost a child slash brother and how each character in this family handles their grief differently and how characters have lost something. Andre has lost his salutatorian status in school and also lost his purpose. Michael has lost his family after he comes out as gay. Blake has lost his older brother who he looked up to. Every person has lost something and how time heals things and how it also makes things worse. And so I wanted to really focus on that. Mm -hmm. So with paradoxes, I guess that's kind of the thing that I wanted to like, I didn't avoid paradoxes, but I, I kind of had to have my characters being that they're, you know, since they're adult characters mm-hmm. and are actively making these decisions, a lot of these things, they had to think about it before they would actually put themselves in the position to do that. 
Right. Because you know, if 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 you know that going back to to X year is going to end the world, well, you'd be kind of stupid to do it. So uh, where he's got the time um, difference there, I had the time where you can't come back on the same day. Mm. Um, not because you can't, but because you know that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> there are instances where having people that are the same close together or items that are the same close together causes little ripples in the world that you feel like vibrations, mm. like energy. Um, and a lot of that was like, okay, well, we maybe don't need to get, we don't need to do that again. Uh, and so we need to be careful and we need to make sure we go back. Right. Know, not on the same day. Uh, I need to not put these two things together. And, uh, you know, then there's the whole, um, my paradox that I wanted to push in there is that they couldn't change anything if they wanted to. Okay. But they had to be there for everything to happen like it should be. So I guess they could change things if they wanted to by not doing what they would have done in that situation. Like if they made a if they made the decision to just not go back, I think things would have been worse for this bunch of characters. Because right. Because when you get there, you're noticing that things are happening. It's like, well, okay... Um, there's one in particular where a speech that is a known historical speech that is recorded and has firsthand accounts of it is written out is delivered by someone other than who was supposed to be there. Nobody knows he's not that person at the time when he's delivering that because we're in a magical universe and we have glamours. But the character's sitting there going, okay, so if I got it off this iPad and memorized it and now I'm delivering it, where the hell did it come from? Oh yeah, that's you know, the um, it's a causal uh, transparent loop. aluminum from uh, from Star Trek Four when Scotty <laughs> brings the transparent aluminum back. Oh, it's okay. like he gives them the formula, and then they're the ones who discovered the formula. So where did the formula actually come from in the first place? It's mm, a right, right. And I, I have a Star Trek named chapter, so. <laughs> And some of those we did, we did a romance episode, you know, a couple months ago. And some of that paradox conversation reminds me of the trope conversation we we're having romance, which it's not, it's not paradoxes aren't inherently negative. Like some of them have grown for a reason and they're so much fun to play with. So it's finding oh, yeah. the ones that have been overdone and figuring out a fresh spin on them, but realizing that people love them for a reason. There's a book coming out that I cannot wait to read. I don't know if you, you all have heard of Rob Hart. He wrote The Warehouse. Um, yep, I'm close friends he, with Rob. Are you? Oh my gosh! Yep. Tell him I love it. I love that book. And Paradox Hotel is his new book coming out. I cannot wait for that. It's a time travel murder mystery. Maybe you know about that if you guys are friends. I do. I know about it. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. So if Rob hears this, he needs okay. to give me a. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Actually, let yes. me text him right now. Actually, he sure mm. does. <laughs> oh Message gosh. to Rob. I cannot wait. Copies for that of books, book. please. I am. I when I saw the concept for that book, I'm like, oh, I am arc stalking that immediately. Him and Kelly Garrett's new book; those are the ones that I am like arc stalking right now. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we jump to a few of the audience Q and A's that people submitted, oh, yeah. and that could be fun. Carrie, do you want to sure. read a couple of those? Let's see. Okay, if I can. How does going backward or forward in time influence the method or device of getting there, if at all? We kind of talked about that a little bit, like the the method. And that's an interesting um, question in, in my my universe here, because, well, the people that actually go forward in time, uh, we don't see that on the page. So mm -hmm. um, we have to kind of assume that it's a similar method to the going back but since since it's not you know it's not in a camp where we've got a pov at that moment uh we don't mm. know so in mine the so to give a little bit of backstory the story um in the book andre gets a liver donation from a boy who was killed in a car accident and it turns out that that individual who he gets his liver from comes from a family of time travelers that have the genetic ability to time travel so when he gets the liver he gains the ability to time travel he only travels back to the past because of something which called in my book which is a rare phenomenon which is called tethering and that the house that he lives in where he first time travels is the same house that michael lived in back in 1969 which creates a connection to michael 
Michael, which makes it easy to time travel to him. If Michael never lived in that house and there wasn't this emotional tether, he could travel back into the time in the past or he could travel into the future, even though that's one of the three rules that time travelers don't break. It's just that traveling back to the past is the easiest for him close to Michael because of his connection with Michael because of their home. Yeah, so I guess you could have done it that your genetic ability to time travel could go to the future, yeah. but then it would have been a completely different story. It would have been a completely different then, story. It would have added in a whole bunch of extra like well, questions, which is like, why, I, let me knock on wood because I say I'm never going to write a time, another time travel book, but who knows? Careers are long. Um, <laughs> it was a mess to edit. Or and not. I took four times as long to edit as I did to write it, and I never want to go through that again. Right. That I could see how that would be. I, I started a time travel book a couple years ago and it became very um, convoluted quickly. Mm. <laughs> so I could see how that would that would happen. Yeah, yeah I want to see like what your world Bibles look like and, and what your structure looks like for writing these stories, because I'm imagining it's almost kind of like writing a mystery where you maybe you have the end. I definitely uh, in mind had, first? Is that kind of how it's been I definitely had the end of the second book in mind when I started it. You know, I knew where that was going, so that made it a lot easier to get everything in place to be there. Um, mm. As far as having a big series Bible and planning everything out, I don't do that. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's I get an idea, the story happens, and I know that I want to do a lot more stories with those characters, so it became a series in that way. Um, and, you know, there's plenty to do there. Like, right. You know, I've opened up enough doors that I could write it forever, but I don't think that necessarily everybody's going to want to read them forever. So uh, I'm making those decisions now. But, like, you're right if, uh, in the sense that it is like a mystery because you kind of have to know what's going to happen and to get them in the right places to make all that stuff line up. And it seems yeah. like I might be a little more plot-driven and... <laughs> Kasoko is a little mm. more um, uh, character driven in that sense, not to say I don't focus on my characters, but, you know, we're, we're talking about um, a book with some romance compared to a book that's a romance with the time travel spin. So, mm. you know, it's also different. We all do things differently. It would be fun to, like, look at each other's, like, <laughs> notes and stuff. <laughs> Totally. Someone did mention like how much tech and engineering is required, you know, for a time machine. And I'm like, doesn't sound like either of you are using time know. machines though. Yeah. No, we're not. But at the same time, you know, I, I have a, a, a book out that's just sci-fi. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's like giant robots in Japan because I'm a big nerd. Oh yeah. But like you know, it's got the you know uh, you you just do it the same way. You replace object with machine that's got machinery, and then you probably have to research a little bit more about like quantum mechanics and stuff to not yeah. mess that stuff up. Uh, but I did read a lot about them. But you know, I've been watching time travel shows my whole life. It's like kind of kind of second hat now to me. You know, because Doctor Who and um, you know, I, I could probably list out more, but right now Doctor Who is the one that pops in my head because it's the one that's that's been there forever for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, reading time travel, watching things about witches, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. It just gets me going and it's it's kind of comes out easy because yeah. nerd. Yeah, I mean, there, we could definitely talk about time travel all day long, but I, um, I just saw, Kosoko, that you have this... Um, sci-fi thriller coming out in March of next year too. I didn't know oh, you were writing this or you yes. have written this. <laughs> I was like, what? I have another book coming out that I don't know about. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So my second um, YA comes out March 1st, 2022. It is a science fiction kind of like Black Lives Matter meets Attack the Block about a young journalist, a wannabe journalist who goes to Baltimore to photograph a Black Lives Matter protest. And the governor of Baltimore initiates kind of like a giant impenetrable dome over Baltimore that prevents yeah. anything from getting out or in people information or anything. And he teams up with a hacker and an AWOL um, army core female who all three of them team up to try and take down the dome it's very uh action-packed it's probably the most action commercial book i've written it's very much i wrote it in kind of like a haze after the george floyd protest mm -hmm. i wrote it it's like a ninety thousand word book that i wrote in like three months it was very wow. much a very like 
Hayes driven book. I'm actually doing the um, copy edits for it right now. Cool. Nice. Congratulations. That awesome. Thank you. Start arc stocking it too. <laughs> uh, yep. So I'm sure we'll be getting arcs probably in like uh, this fall. Soon. Mm. Yeah. 22. I'm starting to get 22 books because yeah. I'm a librarian and I get them early. So I'm, I'm six months ahead of everybody. I'm oh, ordering. No. I'm right now ordering for like November and December of 21. So yeah, I did not know about this one. I knew about the rom-com which I'm excited about too, but I, I'm excited to see another YA from you. You know, y'all did you. a genre hopping episode recently. I'm kind of kind of curious to hear yeah. about Kosoko's um, experience with doing all these books that are so very different. Um, so Kosoko has never in his life ever done anything that's like the same. Even in college, I think I jumped <laughs> career. I jumped majors like five times in college. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to look in my inbox to my agent, I think every week I'm like, I have a new idea. Like scrap the one that I sent you three days ago. This is a new epic idea that we're working on. Love it. Um, and so I just like I've written YA for a long time. A lot of it like just hasn't been published. I'm pretty lucky in the agent trajectory. I got an agent in 2018 first book came out in 2021 so it's pretty lucky um and i have four books coming out next year the paperback for yesterday comes out in january 1st my rom-com comes out 222 my second ya comes out 31 and then my last rom-com and my two book deal comes out in december congratulations awesome so exciting thank you so much it's a busy year (laughs) yeah it'll be it'll be fun though that's great that's great Love and to you, hear do you it. have it, any books coming out this year, or is there something that you have on deck? Uh, actually, on deck, I have a break, because since um, since back in December of 2019, I have put out, I guess what you'd call two full lengths, uh, two novellas and a short story that are all published, self-published. So right now, I'm kind of like sitting back and you know, doing advertisement and letting those things grow and build and focusing a little bit on the um, the queer indie organization that we started for indie authors on Twitter. And that's me and Halo Scott and Mario De Olio and Ash Knight and T.T. Banks. And we have just kind of put together this big site that's a directory um, of where to find not only books that are have queer characters and are written by queer authors, but for books that are ally books too. So everything on the site is from all kinds of different people and it's all safe spaces. Nice. Um, we're working on that stuff. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And anything that we mentioned that it's not easy for me to find a link, send my way and I'll make sure that's in our show notes. So we'll get some, get some links going. So um, we do have a few more audience questions and then we're kind of rounding up to our hour and we'll make sure to give you guys you know, a, a final chance to tell everyone how to keep up with you and whatnot. But I want to make sure that we don't forget the questions that people sent in. I mentioned, posted. I did see. not mention, is there a time period you would never touch in your writing? And if so, why? That's kind of, that's an interesting one. I want to jump on this one because um, that I, I had a serious wrestling moment with whether or not I would do this. Um, because I have, you know, I have a white female uh, bisexual main character. And uh, the immortal partner in her life is a black male and uh, a black gay male. And they have been through all this time together. And, you know, the idea popped in is like they could be in America um, in the 1800s and they could. And then I was like, no, I don't have the life experience needed to put my characters into uh, anything to do with the Underground Railroad. As cool as it is, and as much as I like watching the stuff about that on the TV, that's not my space. Uh, so I backed off of that. I like to look at a situation as whether or not I can provide an authentic point of view to it. Uh, as, as, as a white male, I can definitely talk about kings and queens from England in the 16th century, but there are some places in history that just that I, I probably shouldn't be in this place in this time writing about this thing. I need to keep it uh, to things that I, I don't have the, I just don't have the real experience for that. I could research it forever and never get it. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say any point in time past like the 1910s which is a very short amount of history but i need my characters to have plumbing 
I need my characters <laughs> to speak in a dialect that is reasonable. I need us to not be in, I love Game of Thrones, love it dearly. I would jump back in time instantly to fall in love with Jon Snow. But we're not going to go back to like times when we had castles and it was like we had huts and things and tents because I hate the cold. So we're not doing that and we're not putting my characters through that. Um, and I'm a big lover of like the 1910s period pieces. Any period piece you give me where there is a female main character who has to buck against society norms, falls in love with a kind of like ragged around the edges cocky guy and then wait the great war pulls them apart i am a sucker for that i could watch a million of those even though i know the great war is going to come every single time but anything past that and i'm like we didn't have the plumbing was shit so i can't pun intended so I can't. <laughs> nice that's funny do you do either of you ever see writing um time travel to the future or do you think you'll stick with with the past I wouldn't, I don't think I'd time travel there. I've got a character that has the ability to be in a situation where she can just live through to the future. So mm -hmm. if I decide to go there, it'll either be, it's not out of the, it's not out of question. It's not out of the question, but it's not high on my list of priorities, I don't think. Gotcha. I don't know if I would into the future. Maybe. Um, I feel like time traveling into the past gives your character some grounding in that, like, okay, there's a jarringness of going back in the past, but, like, my, I always write smart Black main characters because it's something that's important. I think it's important to see. So them being able to quickly adapt because they have the educational knowledge of the past is important because it saves a lot of character growth that I can put that time into a different part of the book. If we're jumping 100, 200, 1,000 years into the future, there's customs, there's things you have to learn. I don't write 500, 600 page epics and I will never write that because when I see them in the bookstore, I'm like, oof, how do I carry that book? Um, <laughs> and so I don't have the page attention span to be able to do that like i love space operas i love to watch them the expanse is one of my favorite things out there i'll never be able to write something like that it's good to know it's good it's good to know what you're interested in right it looks like we have one more on our main post another one more audience question in your books are there any physical perils associated with time travel so for me um there is there's Perils of time travel from Andre are basically that, this is kind of a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler. Um, very much like with organ donation, there's always the threat that the organ won't take to the body in natural, normal organ donation. Andre experiences the fact that time traveling is accelerating this process inside of him. And if he continues to time travel, basically his cells and his organ are basically separating. Um, so there's a physical ailment. now. Andre is a unique time traveler, which I won't go into specifically because it also gives more spoilers, but the average normal time traveler inside of this universe that I've set does not experience this because it's genetically just part of who they are and a mutation of their genes. There's really no, it's just as easy as somebody who has red hair or someone who doesn't feel pain because of a removal of a gene inside of their sequencing. Um, but for Andre, he's a little different. So there is- Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think I'll go back to what Kosoko said before about plumbing, <laughs> plumbing and cold and, you know, um, going back that far is, is definitely an adjustment, even for the people who are originally from there that go back. Cause it's like, it's just, you know, there's, there's definitely points where it's like, it's January, you know? So that's like, you know, it's too cold. Mm. You know, we got a character that's loving being there and another that's like, yeah, get me my uh, heaters, please. <laughs> so that would be uh, me. there's there's <laughs> definitely that. And then, of course, there's diseases. And uh, that is covered with a light touch. But I do I do bring it up. So it's important to know that, like, you know, it's important that you think about some of those things when you're writing these things, because somebody's going to give you a, a nasty review if 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 you, you know, ignore the fact that there's a sweating sickness in England in the 16th century. It's, mm. you know, you, you have to know where you're going at least a little bit or have some idea. Um, or you, you know, you're not going to write a successful time travel book, I don't think. I mean, there's keeping it light and then there's keeping it, you know, too light. Mm. I keep thinking of questions and I'm like, nope, that's a spoiler. Nope, that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Well, I would love it if you both could maybe, since most of our listeners are indie writers and maybe as they're listening to this, they're thinking of giving it a try. Have there been any resources that have been very helpful to you as you've written a time travel book that you'd be able to share with us? I found myself in a lot of rabbit holes over the course of these two main books in this series. The, the Lady Dreamscape series is where I'd go in and I'd be like, okay, so I need to find uh, information about the Orient Express. And then suddenly I've got maps of every train that ran through Europe in the middle of the 19th century uh, on my plastered across my desktop. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. or the 20th century, whatever. The, the, the 30s. I've got all these trains up and I'm looking at all this and I know way more about trains in the 30s than I ever thought I wanted to know. But, you know, like, just remember that a couple of sources uh, and then things like from the 16th century where there's not a primary source for it, you get some leeway and some wiggle room there. You know, you know the things that did happen and you kind of have to make things fit in under, underneath. And, um, uh, you know, but use use uh, TV shows too. There, a lot of these things do things that are wrong, but a, a lot of these historical pieces that come out of the BBC and such, they're getting things a lot very right there. They have books from historians, and like the Spanish princess is like also wrong, but the the writer that wrote it. So that's a good thing too, is to grab the book that inspired some of these things. Um, you know, there's tons of historical fiction out there written by people that are historians. Gemma Lawrence, who is on Twitter as Tudor Tweep, uh, I did read, a, I have read a lot of her books about the period. And so, you know, there's there's lots of info that, out there that can at least help you set the tone. Uh, you're going to want to verify these things because a lot of these books don't have, you know, they're not exactly historical accurate, but uh, you can get a good idea and get a start from just reading. I'm going to take it from a different point of view and take, which was, that was great advice. I think that it really depends on the type of time travel you want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you want to write something that is a little bit more literary, then there's like a lot of great things. The Time Traveler's Wife, Kindred, there's just a lot of great more literary time travel. If you want to write something that I consider like a really good like blend between time travel and literary, Mike Chen has written great book, a great book on that. If you want to write something more action-packed, there's like always TV shows and movies that focus, something more person-focused. There's about time, the movie about time. I think it's like, what type of time travel do I want to write? To me, time travel is a subgenre. Technically, it's a sub-subgenre. So you can write <laughs> science fiction, romance, time travel, science fiction, mystery, time travel. It really just depends on how many layers down you want to go and then try to find writers, movies, books that reflect that, see what has been done, what hasn't been done. I'm a big fan of the writing idea because I think that if you've never written a book before, you're just starting, I really believe, which is how I started, is like writing copies of things. Like I wrote a copy of Harry Potter when I was like 10 that I thought was the most brilliant thing ever. It was literally just a copy of Harry Potter of like three differences. But it got me to the point where I was able to look at cinema and look at entertainment and books and figure out, okay, these are the seven things that I liked about this. Here are the three things that I didn't like. How would I do those differently? Which is honestly a lot of what writing is. You see something great that a writer or a moviegoer doesn't focus on or focuses too much on. And so you want to unspool that little thing and it creates a whole story for you. So I think that's a, like a really good way to do that. Oh, a lot of great authors <laughs> came from the, uh, the fan fiction pool. You exactly. Know, there's, there's, there's some really great stuff being written and because these people don't own the characters they can't do anything with it um you know don't you don't have to skip that step you can write some fanfic and hone your skills i might have um so you know (laughs) put it you know the best thing to do if you want to write anything is to 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 write Mm -hmm. write read and um you know don't let yourself get crippled by all the advice that's out there because some of it is like not going to work for you uh, you know, having 15 beta readers may be the way X does it, but you may not need that kind of input. That may crush you. You know, you may need just a close friend who can read your work and say, yeah. well, maybe you should do this. And, and you know, I, I'm a big DIYer, and I've gotten some really great reviews, and a lot of them, you know, not a lot of them for if you're comparing to, like, uh, big dogs, but... You know, I'm an underdog and I'm doing okay. And I'm mostly, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a lot of DIY. I have people that help me make sure I don't have everything spelled wrong. But like, you know, 
you're going to spend a lot of time editing. You're going to spend a lot of time yeah. self-editing. Uh, you just need to do it. Mm-hmm. If you if, if it's a passion for you, you'll do it. And if it's you know if, if you start doing it and find out that it's you know it's okay for it not to be for you, <laughs> that's fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, in library world, we talk a lot about every book its reader and every reader their book. You know, whatever you're working on is going to be the right book for someone, and probably many someones, and vice versa. You know that not every reader will gravitate towards your book and that's okay. Mm-hmm. If it's the, if it's self-contained and it, it's the vision that you wanted for that book and it's, you've done your best, then that will show through and people, exactly. will, people will go to it. Well said everyone. Well, this has <laughs> been such a pleasure. This episode I think will be really well received. People will be super excited about it. And it was an honor to talk to both of you. But before we go, I would love for you to just let our listeners know how to keep up with you and what you're working on next and just the best way to uh, read your work and um, where they can just kind of follow to see what's going on with you. Okay, um, I guess I'll start. Uh, the Twitter for me is at blink underscore drive. And that is a that is a dark matter reference from the science fiction TV show. Um, it was also a... I was going to do some nerd rock under that name, and and there is some a recording of that out there, but it didn't. You know, that was when I was like deciding what was what I was going to do next, because I've always been creative, and I just got to kind of fit those things in. Um, so blink underscore drive, uh, acmerkel.com uh, is where the hub for all the books is. You know, you go and you click the button, and it'll take you to each. There's pages for all the books. I am moving out of Amazon exclusivity as we speak, so by October, uh, you'll be able to buy direct EPUBs from the site, uh, and uh, things will be moving out towards, uh, that will be on Apple. I'm working on the Google, uh, but right now it's, you know, if you go to acmerkle.com, you can find the things that are out. Uh, There are audiobooks for the first two in the Lady Dreamscape series, uh, and Jamie Moore's fantastic, so if you're into audiobooks, you should listen to those because she's she's brilliant mm-hmm. and i'm really lucky to have her on my team and then there is queerindie.com where we have the directory and uh, you can get to all the founding members books from there too but that's more about uh, that directory that now has over 200 books listed and you can just kind of go there and anything you pick up is something that uh, is from people that love you so that's good um, and I think that's most of it. As for me, uh, Twitter, um, actually all my sites, Twitter, my website, and my Instagram are all the same. The benefits of having a unique name, Kosoko Jackson, so K-O-S-O-K-O Jackson for Twitter and Instagram, KosokoJackson.com for my website. Um, my next book, as we mentioned before, comes out February 2022. If you're into rom-coms, it's a queer own voices, fake dating slash second chances rom-com. And then if you want more science fiction thrillers, you just have to wait a week. And that comes out 3-1, uh, which is my next YA. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.